expect us. Uh, but we're going to be in John chapter 4 this morning, looking at uh, the life-giving water that Jesus offers us. Uh, how he comes to saturate our souls, to satisfy us, to save us, and even today to refresh us in deepening ways. And I wonder if there's ever been a time in your life where you have been desperate for water. Um, as I was praying over this and just thinking, I was reminded of a time a few years ago, about 10 years ago now, I was on a missions trip uh, to Thailand with a team of guys. And we were going to the south of Thailand to join a missionary team there to just, you know, love them, support them, strengthen them, give encouragement to them. And we flew into Bangkok. We spent a, a day in the city before we went uh, down south. So we flew into the airport, went straight from the airport to our hostel uh, put our bags down, and we hadn't eaten really on the plane. We were starving. We ran straight to the restaurant, and uh, wanting to be good students of the culture, we started ordering Thai food. Uh, people were ordering pad thai, Thai green curry, red curry, chicken fried rice. I mean, I could just live that jaw for the rest of my life. It was brilliant. But on one of the plates, there was like some suspicious vegetable that I, I wasn't quite sure what it was. It kind of looked like a Brussels sprout, but definitely one that had been subjected to fermentation of some sort. It, it looked sif, it smelt sif, it was awful, and I can't remember who ordered it, but whoever it was left it on their plate, and obviously that was going to be, you know, the one untouched thing that, that went on the plate. And Someone, you know, full of the Spirit came up with a brilliant idea of playing a game uh, that whoever lost the game, the forfeit was that you had to eat this thing. So we played this game of fives alive. If you don't know how it works, it's, it's irrelevant. But you start out with about 10 or 15 of us, and you kind of have to guess the number that's going to come up on that round. And if you're right, then you're out of the game and you're safe. You don't have to eat this thing. It goes from 15, 14, 13, all the way down. It's five, I'm still in. I'm starting to sweat now. A man is, is seeing his future. I know what's coming. Three, I'm still in. Two, it's just me and my brother-in-law, weirdly, Pierre. And guess who is the, the chosen and anointed one who gets to eat this Thai fart ball? It's me. And you can understand how I was clamoring for the nearest glass of water near me to wash away this ridiculous taste. I can confirm it was the gift that kept on giving for the rest of the day as well, but I needed to carry a bottle of water with me wherever I went. So I'm sure there's been a time in your life where you have been desperate uh, for water. And this morning, we're going to look at a passage uh, where Jesus is just demonstrating to us why he is a master storyteller. He is meeting with a woman at the well who is broken and desperate, and he's encouraging her, saying, I am streams of living water to you. And even for us this morning, that is, I believe deep, that, that God wants to refresh us this morning. He wants to, again, bring us satisfaction and refreshing to the deepest parts of of our hearts. And we're going to look at what that looks like, what it looks like to drink deep of God again, and even talk a little bit around how we so often drink from wells that can't satisfy. So as I said, could you grab your Bible? We're going to, John 4 verses 1 to 30, it will be on the screen as well. 
when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard he was making and baptizing more disciples than John, though Jesus himself was not baptizing, but his disciples were, he left Judea and went to Galilee. He had to travel through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the property that Jacob had given his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, worn out from his journey, sat down at the well. It was about noon. A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Give me a drink, Jesus said to her, because his disciples had gone into town to buy food. How is it that you, a Jew, Ask for a drink from me, a Samaritan woman, she asked him. For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered, if you knew the gift of God and who is saying to you, give me a drink, you would ask him and he would give you living water. Sir, said the woman, you don't even have a bucket and the well is deep. So where do you get this living water? You want greater than our father Jacob, are you? He gave us this well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and livestock. Jesus said, everyone who drinks from this water will never get thirsty again, will get thirsty again. But whoever drinks from the water that I will give him will never get thirsty again. In fact, the water I will give him will become a well of water springing up in him for eternal life. Sir, the woman said to him, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and come here to draw water. Jesus goes and targets deeper things. He says, go and call your husband. He told her, and and come back here. I don't have a husband, she answered. You have correctly said, I don't have a husband, Jesus said, for you've had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. So the woman replied, I see that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you do say that we need to worship in Jerusalem. Jesus told her, believe me, woman, an hour is coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, because salvation is from the Jews. But an hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Yes, the Father wants such people to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said to Him, I know that the Messiah is coming, who is called Christ, And when he comes, he will explain everything to us. Jesus told her, I, the one speaking to you, am he. Just then, his disciples arrived, and they were amazed that he was talking with a woman. Yet no one said, what do you want, or or why are you talking with her? Then the woman left her water jar, went into town, and told the people, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They left the town and they made their way to him. Well, this morning, if you're taking notes, I'm going to be keeping it simple. And we've got two headings. We're going to be looking at how Jesus seeks us and how Jesus satisfies us. 
how Jesus seeks us and how Jesus satisfies us. Jesus comes to seek us out. He comes to find us and give us living water. Just consider Jesus' ministry at this point of his life. This uh, early as it is in the chapters of John, a lot, has, a lot has happened. Jesus has been preaching. He's been healing. He's been comforting. He's been meeting the crowds. The, the demands of ministry are relentless. And even though he is fully God, he's also fully man. And I'm sure he's, he's exhausted. The text even tells us that he's worn out. Maybe that's something you resonate with this morning. Maybe Jesus is just tired. I don't know if Jesus, like me, gets a, a grumpy when he's tired. Maybe he's just like thinking, yes, Peter, please, no more questions, bro. Like, I can't. Like, I'm, I'm tired here. And he's retreated to a place at the well for rest. But what we know is so clear is that he's not just there for a chill. Jesus has come to the well for a purpose. He's here to seek a woman out to heal her heart and change her life. He hasn't bumped into her. He's not just making the most of an opportunity. He's got an appointment with this woman that he knew was coming. And he's making a beeline to meet her then. He knew when she would get there, he was waiting for her. I just want to encourage us this morning again, friends, just as we work through this passage, like Jesus knows you. He knows your heart. He knows what you're carrying with you this morning. Even today, tomorrow morning, the day after, our God who knows everything about you, as Doug read for us, Psalm 139, He knows you so fully. He is coming again to seek you out, to fill you, to comfort you, to give you power, to give you grace, to work in you in ways that only He can. He's not irritated that we're interrupting him. This woman at the well is definitely not interrupting Jesus's chill time. In fact, it's the opposite. Jesus is interrupting her life in the most gracious way to give living water to her. Jesus is so intentional with each one of us, isn't he? I was just struck again as I was reading this. Like, if we've got any business people in the room uh, any strategy consultants, I want you to just consider this with me. You've got three years. Jesus had three years of ministry before he died and was buried and resurrected and ascended. He had three years of ministry. Right, if you've got three years to save the world and establish your kingdom on earth, how are you going to do it? Right, you're going to go to where the people are, where there's the highest return on investment, where you can... Uh, preach to the most people and influence the most people with the least amount of effort to make sure you've got your social media strategy on point, you've got all the things that are going to reach the biggest amount of people, you're not going to go to a random well in the middle of nowhere to meet one person. It's a completely inefficient evangelistic strategy. And I can imagine the disciples getting there, hearing what's happened and just saying, right, that's cool, Jesus, but let's go further, further north. That's where the crowds are. That's where the action is going to happen. And Jesus is saying, at this moment, look, I'll get to the crowds. But right now, this woman isn't there. She's here, and I've come to meet her. She, Jesus wants to meet each one of us. We need his touch. He is big enough to be the God of all people, the nations, as we prayed, and each one of you. You don't get lost in the crowd with Jesus. He knows what we need. 
He knows Chris. He knows Joao. He knows Paul. He knows what we need. And he's come to meet us in life-changing ways, even again today. He knows what you're carrying with her. What do we see about this woman in the text? What's she carrying with her? In what ways is Jesus seeking her out? Well, I think that Jesus is meeting her at the well for a purpose. Now, it's important for us to understand in the culture, this well moment was a, a thing the ladies would do together regularly. They'd wake up early in the morning, they'd get their buckets and, you know, whatever, anything that could carry uh, water, they'd go together, they'd go full, uh, get the water from the well. And on the way, they'd be chatting, they'd be catching up, they'd be caring for one another, they'd be saying, hey, how did your kids kids sleep last night? It was a, you know, just for example. It was, you know, they'd be sharing life with one another. And what's happening to this lady? You can see the woman at the well is not one of the cool kids for whatever reason. We'll look at it just now. She's an outcast. She's been excluded. And she's here in the middle of the day, in the heat of the day, alone. Maybe the fact that she's had five husbands has made her someone that everyone else doesn't want to associate with. Maybe it's just her carrying deep shame, choosing rather to be alone. We can't be sure, and we don't know. But what we do know is she is alone, and Jesus has chosen to meet us here, to meet her there. I think the reason for it is that this moment of coming to the well would be a, a, a time in every day that reinforces her deepest shame. Every time she's coming there to fill out, fill uh, up the, the bucket with more water, she's reminded, hey, I'm isolated. I'm alone. I'm rejected. And Jesus is sort of meeting her at this moment to tell her something profound. Listen, you might be by yourself, but you're not alone. I'm here with you. You might feel rejected and unlovable. Well, I'm here to give you grace and to give you a new identity to tell you that I love you. I, I just was praying about this um, the last few days and just feeling that recognizing some of us uh, feel this in different ways. And I just wrote down a few things. I know that some of us who desire a spouse, it can be hard coming to church and seeing everyone else married and just feeling the weight of that loss and that sense of uh, identity uh, slip away from you. It, coming to church can be a hard thing. It's like a reminder of what you don't have. Same thing with kids. If you desire kids, you see all the kids, and it's an amazing thing. You can celebrate with others, but it's painful because you desire that. Maybe it's just something else. You, you see someone else have or be able to do or, or be something that wish you could have or do or be, and every time you see them, it's a reminder of what you don't have. Listen. God isn't a genie that gives us everything we want, but what I do want to say is this, that it's in those moments that Jesus can minister to us most powerfully. Because what he's saying is, I am enough for you. And I will satisfy you more than those things ever could. And if you have me, you lack nothing. You lack nothing if you have me. I'm enough for you. Jesus meets us when nobody else can and gives us what nobody else can. He's come to satisfy. 
where is Jesus meeting you this morning? Or what have you come here bringing with you? There's no situation too difficult, burden too heavy. There's no sin even too sinful for his grace. He's the one that keeps on chasing his people down, filling us again by his power and spirit. You may even just be feeling this morning spiritually dry. Maybe saying, oh, Lord, I do need you. The one who is the way maker. Thank you, God, for Sundays where I get to sing and listen to your word preached and, and remind my heart of what I most need. Because in the week, I'll get it wrong. And I'll desire other things. And I'll long for other things. And I'll chase other things. What I need more than anything else, what I need more than my next breath, God, is you. Would you fill me again? What Jesus is doing in this moment in his grace and kindness for her and what we see for us is he's coming to meet us in his grace again this morning. How does Jesus satisfy us? What does he offer us? Well, again, I just want to look at one thing, and I mentioned we're going to look at this woman's identity, and there's been a lot of discussion, and there's a lot we don't know. Some say she's had five husbands because she's got a history of sexual sin. Some say it's exactly the opposite. She's been abused and discarded by her previous five husbands. Others say it's another reason. What I want to say, it's actually, I'm actually glad we're not 100% sure because it helps us get to the gospel. Listen, whether she's a villain or a victim, Jesus is the living water. What does that mean for us? He comes for all people. Everyone who is, maybe you're feeling shame this morning at what's been done to you. Maybe you've carried guilt for what you've done. Jesus is the living water. The oppressed and the oppressor get his grace. The sinner and the sin against get his grace. The villain and the victim. All who cry out for the Father's mercy and say, God, fill me. God will meet us in his grace. It doesn't come for the perfect. God's grace does not come for the perfect. It comes for the desperate. That's what makes it good news. If you're a Christian, just take encouragement this morning. You already have the living water living in you. We're not trying to earn something or get it for the first time. If you belong to him, the living water is Jesus and he's in you. But there's a call to ongoing filling. You hear what Jesus says? It'll be like what? Streams, like rivers, like wells of living water welling up to eternal life. There's an ongoing filling that comes with Jesus saturating the deepest parts of our heart. I've got to ask us this morning, friends, how saturated are we? It's not about being worthy because we aren't. More about being thirsty. And so I want us to look at a few verses for the rest of today, just massaging that in. What does it look like to drink and long for water from the well of God? There's a beautiful uh, few verses in Isaiah 55 that massage this in for us. An invitation to come and drink. Have a look with me. Come, it says. Come. Everyone who is thirsty, come to the water. And you without silver... Come and buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without silver and without cost. 
Why do you spend silver on what does not satisfy and your wages on what does not satisfy? Silver on what is not food and your wages on what does not satisfy. Listen carefully to me and eat what is good and you will enjoy the choicest of foods. See what's so encouraging in those verses? You'll see in verse 1, it's those who have nothing get. And verse 2, there's an invitation on those who have and have tried to spend it, look on other things to fulfill their heart, also get the invitation. It cuts across both ways. Grace really does cut across everything. It cuts across economic situations, racial lines, politics, even culture. Jesus says in the passages, it makes it an interesting little statement in for that. Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Later on in the Gospels, we see what Jesus has done to break down the dividing wall of hostility. Grace comes for everyone. I just wrote in my notes here, even geography. Like, we get snobby in the northern suburbs, right? We think, yeah, for us, but Benoni, I mean, come on, you know. No, come on. Everyone gets in on this. There's no one too far gone. Grace is for everyone. It's an invitation to come and drink. And so we have to ask the question at a deeper level. What is Jesus doing when he asks her about her husband's situation? Well, I think he's engaging her heart and challenging and exposing some of what she's putting her trust in. See, then verse 16, he's just told her, I'm the living water, and if you drink of me, you'll never be thirsty again. And then he launches into a question, go and call your husband. He's engaging her heart. She says, I don't have a husband. He knows all things. He says, yes, that's right. You don't uh, have a husband. You've had five, and the guy you're with now isn't your husband. And again, we don't entirely know the reasons for her situation. It, It may have been complex, but what Jesus is exposing here is other places she may have tried to find living water. It would seem she's looked to men to find security and comfort and safety. She's been putting her trust in having a husband. And Jesus is speaking into that because I think what's happened is because it's become such a source of shame and identity for her, She can't possibly imagine a situation where the grace of God would be for her. And Jesus is pointing it out and saying, listen, if I'm your living water, there's no area of your life that goes untouched. I will heal the parts of yourself that that you think are untouchable. The areas of your life where you are most prone to hide from people and God out of shame, I'm going to come and touch that area. Areas of your life maybe no one knows anything about except God. He wants to come and put his fingers on that. What are you looking to for comfort, for joy, for satisfaction, for security? We don't have to hide from God. He can come and refresh us. Maybe you're carrying shame with you this morning or guilt. Maybe just you're grieving something. Maybe there's been a loss in your life, whatever that looks like. And things are just different. And it feels like God's grace isn't on you. 
Maybe you're going through what theologians have called the dark night of the soul. You might not have heard that term. It's a profound, it's a profound thing. It, it just, it, they, they call it the dark night of the soul. What it is, is it's when there's no great sin in your life, you haven't done anything, there's no sin that has gone unrepented, you're good with God, but for whatever reason, you just don't feel intimate with Him anymore. There's nothing in the way you've repented of your sin, you've asked for help, you've cried out for the Holy Spirit, but you're just in a season where you don't feel God. It's a normal place to be. You see it in the Scriptures as well. But what you do see, and we're going to see this, Doug was saying we're going to do a series in the book of Acts in a few weeks. What you do see is how lives change when the Spirit of God gets involved in His people's lives. Completely turning things around, changing things, turning all our brokenness into joy and dependence on His grace. Maybe this morning you're just feeling deeply weary and burdened. I want to remind us, no amount of Instagram reels is going to give you what you most need. We love the entertainment. It's brilliant. And someone said it, if, if, you're, if you're tired, sleep, but if you're weary, pray. Because there's something deeper going on. Your soul is searching for something that only Jesus can give. And we need times to just slow down and say, right, God, fill me afresh. Put your spirit in me again. I need you. Look, if I'm sounding charismatic, uh, it's because I am. I make no apologies. We need his spirit in us. We don't need to hide. We can come confess our need and take those words to heart. We can come and drink. We can come and drink. I think part of the problem is that we look to other wells to satisfy what only Jesus can give us. Take a look at Psalm 63. God, you are my God. Eagerly I seek you. I thirst for you. My body faints for you in a land that is dry and desolate and without water. So I gaze on you in the sanctuary to see your strength and glory. See what's happening here? He's, he's, there's, he's describing a longing for God, a turning toward God. It's you I want. But what's implicit in those words? You see what he's saying is there, there's an implicit turning away. I've looked for other things. But God, only you can satisfy. So I'm looking to you again. Eagerly I seek you, not other things. It's similar to the words of, of the African church father, uh, Augustine says, our hearts are restless until they rest in God. We'll be snatching at everything to find living water for ourselves. And the thing is, the problem with this is that we'll end up exhausted and looking like a land that is dry, desolate, and without water. Listen, I don't know what that is for you. I wrote a few things down here. It could be that you've looked to work to give you that. Maybe finding significance in your job, finding significance. If you can just be successful, then you'll be somebody and you'll know you matter and have purpose. Maybe it's in retail therapy. If you can just buy the right stuff or more stuff, it'll fill a hole in you that we deeply need. 
Maybe it's control. If we can control the situation, we'll, we'll feel like we're in charge. Maybe it's even just appearance and beauty. If, if we can look right and look good and come across well, we'll get the approval we so desperately need. It could be a hundred other things, but the point is that it'll always break us because when we look to other things to give us what only Jesus can give us, it'll always leave us feeling parched and, and thirsty. Even we know that idols always break the hearts of their worshipers. So what the psalmist is saying is, eagerly I seek you, God. I know it's only going to come from you. And so I'm looking to you. We need this as a community. Isaiah 44. It says, For I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour out my spirit on your descendants and my blessing on your offspring. They will sprout among the grass like poplars by flowing streams. This one will say, I am the Lord's. It's just such a beautiful picture of God pouring himself out on his people. We need this. We need this. I, I remember in my life, when I became Christian, uh, or, the, or the journey that started my relationship with Jesus, it was June 2005. I'd grown up in the church. I'd, I'd known how to say prayers. I know how to work my Bible and find what I need to find. I know what to say. I know when to sit up and s- sit down and stand up. I knew all the rhythms, but I didn't know Jesus. I didn't know him. And when my life turned around, was uh, I went to youth and they were they were running the youth were running a holiday club for the kids uh, in the schools of the area. I don't know how they let me be part of leading that when I wasn't really even Christian, but they let me by His grace, and I'm so thankful because my week, my life changed that week. And what got me was the corporate grace of God among His people. For the first time in my life, I sat in a room with kids nearly my age and leaders a bit older. Doug was even there back, you know, when he was lively and young, not ancient, you know. And, um, and I could see for the first time in my life people my age praying like they're actually talking to someone, not just saying a prayer. And people singing like they're actually singing and worshiping someone, not just singing a song, not just doing Christian karaoke. They were engaging someone relationally. What got me was the tangible, was the tangible sense of God's presence among his people. I could not escape what God was doing in me through that. One minute, I didn't know God. The next, by His Spirit, He flooded a room where there were teenagers crying out to Him, and my life changed forever. It was the start of a trajectory for me. We need the touch of Jesus. We need His Spirit to saturate us afresh. We need refreshment. He can do that for us, even as a church. I remember years ago, four or five years ago, there was a Sunday in this room. Uh, It was sort of December time, you know, that period of the year where we're all exhausted and like crawling our way to the end of the year. And I remember Tornal was anchoring. I can't remember who was leading worship, but we started off, and there was just like a collective sense of weariness in the room. You could feel it. The worship started... 
And it didn't take long, maybe like one verse and a chorus, for there to be a collective sense of refreshment among us. I remember after the second song, Torn Off came up to just welcome the church. He says, God, thank you for your spirit. I feel so refreshed. I was like, amen, me too. I chatted to people after the service. They were like, me too. I felt that as well. Just in a moment. I mean, it took two songs, two songs in. We haven't found our seat. We're still getting coffee. We're like, is our car locked? Uh, what's happening today, this afternoon? If I didn't sleep, though, my neck's a bit sore. Like, it takes us so many songs to get into it. Two songs. Just in a moment, God can bring streams of refreshing grace in our life. Just as we close this morning, and Doug's going to help us respond. I want to look at two verses together. Look at what our shepherd does for us. Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I have what I need. He lets me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He renews me. This is a psalm all about who God is, the kind of God we worship. See what a shepherd does for us? He wants to refresh you. He wants to give you living water. Sometimes that's going to be like a slow drip. Thank God for that. Other times it's going to be like standing under a waterfall of his grace in our lives. But we do need to come to him and drink and slow down. There's a verse about refreshment for the weary. Matthew 11. Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take up my yoke and learn from me, because I am lowly and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I think for the rest of today, let's do that. Let's take a moment to come to him, burdened as we are with what you're carrying. Remember, he knows you. He knows what you've come here with. And he, in his grace, as the living water, has come to put new life into you. You might not feel anything right now. That's fine. But what I'm trusting is what God has imparted for us today is, a, is, an, is an awareness of our need for his refreshing grace in our lives. Let's pray together and then Doug will help us. Father, thank you that you have come to seek and save that which was lost. And while we were far off, you did what only you can do, and you made us alive in Christ. You gave us your spirit. You gave us eyes to see you. You gave us faith to believe. You came and found us. And you put yourself into us by your spirit. God, we're not content to live lives as Christians, having an impersonal relationship with you. We want to know you more deeply. We want to walk with you more closely. Would you give us your spirit again? Thank you that you say you give your spirit to those who ask. You give good gifts to those who ask you. We cry out together this morning. Would you fill us afresh?
in the coming week, in the coming weeks, would you keep the disposition of our hearts, one that cry out to you, recognize our need, and long for you, and rejoice that our God is for us and walks with us. That our shepherd leads us to streams that would nourish and refresh and satisfy the deepest parts of our hearts. Jesus, we look to you again this morning, our Savior, one who has died to cleanse us of our sins, to make us new, to purchase us to yourself. We pray that you would give us and renew the joy of your salvation this morning. Continue working.